Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. It's good to be worshiping with my church family. Amen, amen. It's good to be here. You know, it's so amazing. I was, I've been traveling. Um, I've been in Alabama for several weeks, and so it's good to be here. Many of you came with just really bad weather out, praise God. So I appreciate you guys coming and being in the house of the Lord together. You know, it's so funny. Um, I was talking about uh, the church when I was in Alabama, and while I was talking about the church, I got this feeling in the si- inside like, man, I really miss my church. And when you work for a church, in a sense, sometimes it can feel like work. And I love the fact that I can come here on Sundays and I get to preach and all that stuff. But I like, I, I like y'all. So I just want to, I don't know, I just feel like I need to put that out there. Like, I really like being around you guys. And I, I miss, I, thank you, Brian. That was real. I felt that too. And uh, all day, all day, all day. And, and I, I really missed y'all. I really did. And so um, it means a lot to be a part of a church where you don't feel like you're a hired hand, but you really feel like you're a part of a family. And so I praise God for that. A lot of my affection for you, I want to help you. Um, one of the things that Jesus often gets understood, understood about Jesus is that he is the son of God. So true. But Jesus is also often called the son of man. What that encompasses is that Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. Jesus, we see walking on water and raising people from the dead, but we also see him needing water. He's thirsty. He gets tired. So because Jesus, though he being God, is still human, there are things about Jesus's life that I can look at and go, me too. I feel that way too. I could do that too. And there's something about Jesus that happens to him that happens to us. Jesus enters into a moment where he is fully overwhelmed. And his response will read, prayerfully will be our response. You know what being overwhelmed is like. You, in your mind, have a perceived limit. A place in your mind where you say, this is about as far as I can go. And it's like there's a line there. And whenever you go beyond your perceived limit, believe you are overwhelmed. That can happen spiritually. It can happen financially. It can happen in your family. But you say, I can't go anymore. I get this too? Wait, 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 wait. I I can't do this as well. And part of your greatest problem isn't all the things you do. And all the things you're encountering, part of feeling overwhelmed is you don't know how you're going to get by. How am I going to get through this season? Jesus was overwhelmed as well. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll see Jesus being crowded, overwhelmed, people barging into his life. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 38. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. You see that, you see that right there in verse 36, it says they were searching for him. In another version, it says they were hunting for him. And then it says, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. Where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you. And Jesus didn't make himself available. They had to find him. They had to search all around. And part of it, it says he was in a desolate place. Jesus had actually engineered that moment to not be found because he wanted to be away. When Jesus became overwhelmed, he created a situation where he could be alone with his father. Now, why is Jesus overwhelmed? Why are there crowds coming to him? Well, if you look in the earlier part of the chapter and um, all throughout the book, Jesus is healing people. Jesus is performing exorcisms. Jesus is teaching but the thing about Jesus that was blowing people's minds is that he was perfect. That when people came to Jesus and they needed healing, he didn't tell them, go get a second opinion. He didn't say, man, I gotta, we, let's run some tests. If you came to Jesus, you were healed. If you were in need of wisdom or insight, he was the perfect teacher, able to break down the Jewish scriptures in ways that no one had ever understood. And then there were those who had demons. They had those elements in their life that were destroying them, and Jesus was able to cast them out with a word. Well, the crowds came because Jesus was the perfect teacher. He was the perfect doctor, and in many ways like the perfect psychologist, ridding you of all that is going and tormenting you. And so everyone is looking for Jesus. Everyone wants Jesus. And yet Jesus would not allow the crowds to define his time. Jesus made time for his father. <laughs> it says very early. Now there's early, hallelujah. <laughs> then there's very early. You know what very early is, right? Like early is 6 a.m. Real early is 5 a.m. Very early is 4 a.m when you're in that drool-like, comatose, third heaven sleep, where it's just like nothing can separate you from the presence of God and sleep. It's awesome. Right here, from what we can tell, he's probably up at 4 a.m. And it seems as if they went looking for him at a normal time, which would be about 7 a.m. So that means that Jesus had been there for about three hours in the presence of his Father, and the word desolate is where we get the idea of a desert. Jesus found a place where no one would bother him. No one would distract him. And he could be alone with his father. Now, there's several things I want to say, but let me just say this. Just, just, just understand this. 
Jesus ran away from the crowds, got up early to be with his father, yet he's the son of God. He gave the God of the universe hours, but he was the son of God. We are flawed people, and we give him minutes. But I'm, I, I, I know I could guilt you all day with that. That's not, the, that's not the point, is to guilt you and to walk out and feel horrible about your life. What I want to do is I want to show you this. He knew what was a priority in his life. You see that very early? That's what we, that's, when, you got, when you have to make the flight, you get up very early. When, when you, you, know, you can't miss that train, you get up very early. Those things that are priority get the very. You know what I'm talking about? He got up very early because he had prioritized time alone. And he felt it was that much of a priority. And so why, why, why did he get up so early? He said because he knew the crowds were coming for him. He wasn't doing bad things. He was doing good things, but he knew the crowds were coming for him. And so he engineered his life to be alone in a desolate place with his Father, the crowds come for our schedule. The material things, the emotional things, the physical things, the, the, the romantic things, they crowd out our schedule and they crowd Jesus out. When I, um, I moved here from Atlanta, when I first got here, I, I was on that Atlanta etiquette, praise God. And um, so you just tell people to go ahead of you, and you're just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Go. And so I was getting on the train, and I was doing that, and it wasn't working because people obliged, and they, so they were just like, you know, hopping in front of me, and, and another packed crowd car would come, and I'm just like, oh, if I don't jump on, <laughs> I may not get home. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So after a few months, that etiquette just, I was delivered from it. And so after a while, I was like, I know, Grandma, I know you need this spot, but right here is, I know the door is going to be right here. And you just got to, you know, because priority, priority is about what goes first. And I didn't want to miss something. So I made sure I put something first. I put myself first. Priority is about what goes first. And Jesus felt that time with his father was so important because he was so busy. You see, we get all these opportunities and we feel like we're too busy to pray. But Jesus says, I'm too busy not to pray. There's so much overwhelming me, so much taxing me, so much working on me. You see, this is the reality. I've gone beyond my line and my, I have limits but I need to talk to the unlimited one because he, when I go beyond my line, he's available. So I need to get with him and be in his presence. I'm too busy not to pray, Jesus is telling us. The crowds are coming. And Jesus engineers his life to spend time with his father. Now, I wonder what the prayer sounded like. What did Jesus pray about? What did Jesus pray about? Ever wonder that? What did Jesus pray about? I just I don't know. We have the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to die, raise again from the dead, but he doesn't want to go through the pain, and we see that prayer. 
But what was it he prayed right there? Well, we don't know, but in Mark chapter 11, um, uh, verse, uh, rather, Mark 14, verse 36, it reads this way. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's saying, yet not my will, but your will be done. And, and if you notice right there, the word Abba, it is the intimate, informal word for Father. It is the word Daddy. And it is a way of rendering a relationship with God that says that me and God are at this place where we are very, very close. And it boggled the mind of the Pharisees because they would pray these eloquent prayers talking about God, the king of the universe, and they would talk about God's powers and his majesty, and they would talk about all the titles and the roles that God was able to occupy at the same time. And here comes Jesus on the scene, walking up in front of them, being able to heal, being able to teach, being able to cast out demons, and in front of everybody, they're blown away by his power, and he gets in front of them and says, Daddy. What is this guy talking about? And he showed them the power that he had came not from his intelligence, but it came from his intimacy. Came from being able to say, Daddy, in front of all. Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, you see, we understand that the things that are prioritized go first, even in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, the disciples are asking Jesus, how do we pray? He says, here's the first thing to say. Say, our Father. Say the word, Father. And there, he was taking away their beliefs that they had to come with this formal language and this eloquence before God. And if Jesus, the Son of God, is teaching us how to prioritize prayer. He is also teaching us how to prioritize the idea of our need to say, Father. To know that we need to reflect that back to him. Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, when he hears from the Father, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. In Romans chapter 8 and 16, the scriptures say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit of God actually reminds us that we're God's children, that we're taken care of. And so Jesus, in prayer, often what we see is he prioritizes the idea of Father. The Spirit is there. The Spirit of God is there to remind us that we're children of God. So what that means is that part of our problem in prayer, part of our problem in life, rather, is that we all have daddy issues. Not just I'm talking about your earthly daddy. I'm just saying there is a part of us that needs to know that there is someone who is stronger than us taking care of us. And there is, a, in a sense, our souls are like orphanages often telling us that there's nobody there for you. You got to work on your own. Oh, you're going to have to figure this out by yourself, for yourself. Oh, you're going to have to struggle. And so it pushes you to work harder, work smarter, work faster, get those connections, network, do all the things you got to do. You got to schmooze, you got to move because no one's going to take care of you. And if your soul doesn't teach you that, life has. But you got to do what you got to do. You got to push, you got to move. And Jesus says, start your prayer with Father, that you're taken care of, that the Spirit of the living God is there to remind you of his presence. And, and so, interestingly enough, 
in prayer, far too often what we are trying to do is get something from God. But understand this, the purpose of prayer is not to, not to get things from God, it's to get God. The strong God, the omniscient God, the kind of God that you say, if God is for me, who can be against me? And there was something, and we don't know because we didn't hear Jesus pray, but there was something about being in his presence for hours that gave Jesus the confidence in verse 39 to go back out and preach. There was something about that that strengthened him for the work, knowing that he was in the presence of the Lord, his Father. And in many ways, you and I are in that same predicament. We need that reminder of his presence. When I, um, I, was, in, uh, I was talking about this with uh, folks that I started the church with years ago, I went down to North Carolina to spend time with my dad. I've been very open about my own daddy issues, praise God. And uh, I went down there with my dad. And, you know, a relationship with dad is like magical, right? It's like it can, it can encourage you and discourage you. My, my dad can cough, and I'm like, what'd you say? You know, just <laughs> I have issues. So, um, so I'm talking to my pops, right? And we're talking about the church. And at the time, we had all these people leave. We had a core team at the time, and a bunch of people left. And I was, I'm like scared and afraid. I'm like, man. And so this was December of 2013. I was hanging out with my father. And um, my dad and I were talking. And uh, uh, I had moved around a bunch uh, before. And my, my father was like, why do you always move to these different churches and you start stuff? And why do you do that? And I was like, I, I just feel like that's what God's called me to do, dad. And, and, I, and he's like, and you going to New York? Why are you in New York? He's like, you had a house in here in North Carolina. Why are you going? I just feel like that's what God's telling me to do. And he's like, ah, I don't get it. <laughs> he said, but I tell you this. Every time you step out, it works out. God just works it out. He said that like it was passing in the wind. I'm in the bathroom like, oh, God. Oh, God. You know, I was going through it. And I'm telling you right now, it gave me the confidence to go on. There was something magical. His words seemed light, but they were heavy in my heart. And I'm telling you, I could sit down with many of you, and we could start the story of your family life. But I'm telling you that this as well. No matter how much tragedy and trauma has been in your past, from your family, or from your life, God the Father can change it with a word. With a word. He can give you confidence from a word. Just by being with him in a word. And so, if my earthly father, being with him, and him saying something in passing, could give me confidence, how much more my heavenly father when he is intentionally wanting to spend time with me and he can't wait to encourage me. Every day, every day, every day, your mind and your heart need devotion. You are having a devotional every day. It's just not always with Jesus. So what we want, what we want to do is 
recommit our hearts back to him. Uh, all right, I have to move this, this on, but verse 39, verse 39, I want to go back to verse 39. It says that he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So this is what Jesus moves on now. He goes from, you know, being in that moment, and now he's moved on. And, but it says two things that are happening there. It says he's, he's, he, he's, he's going throughout Galilee. He's, he's like, okay, we're done. All right, we're done. Y'all, y'all looking for me? Let's go. And he goes on and he preaches and he casts out demons. Now, I find this amazing because my experience in the body of Christ with Christians is that the church is pretty split up between those two parts. We either want some good preaching where a pastor tell me some stuff in Greek and Hebrew that I never heard before and blow my mind and let me get my notes out kind of thing. Like, blow my mind with information. Or casting out demons. Give me a new encounter. Give me a new experience. But Jesus didn't just go preaching. He was preaching and casting out demons. He was doing both. Because he felt in order for his glory to be revealed, he had to deal with your mind, but he also had to deal with the invisible. He had to deal with the world that you do not see. The scripture tells us this, Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul there is echoing the experience Jesus was having and saying this. The scriptures are saying that right now you are in a wrestling match spiritually. And you may not fully comprehend it. In other words, you may not consider the demonic world. But the Bible is very clear about there being an agent of evil called Satan. And the Bible is very clear about him having a group that accompanies him called demons. And Satan and those demons work in a kingdom of darkness. Interestingly enough, it's called the kingdom of darkness, but he's only called a prince of the power of the air. They don't even give him the right title, right? So, so the, the reality is that we are in a dark world. And some of you know what I'm talking about because some of you have dark thoughts. Thoughts you don't bring up in accountability time. Thoughts that didn't make it into the small group, the city group. Some of you have contemplated suicide. Some of you hear deep, dark impressions. Some of your minds ruminate. You meditate on past. Some of you are able to meditate on the darkness of this world more than the light. Some of you may not call this world the kingdom of darkness. You may not consider demons. You may not consider Satan. But Satan and demons are considering you. Now, think of this. Think of this. I think we have an image up here. Now, this is a wrestling match. It's two people wrestling. All right? And the scriptures tell us that we are in a spiritual wrestling match. And 
you may not have those impressions, but the Bible essentially shows us that there are dark forces and dark impressions, but there's also just a dark trajectory in this world, a, a dark system. It's, and, and, and the Bible calls it just basically the, the world system that puts itself, puts its face against God. And so even if you don't have that you wrestle with, you wrestle with just trying to live for God in a, in a complex, overwhelming world. Well, you're just trying to spend some time with Jesus, just trying to talk about Jesus, just trying to read your word, just trying to, and, and, and it's amazing. Some of you start to do good things for God and chaos enters your life. Or you just, or, or you know, you're, you're just like, man, let me just get that devotional app and oh my gosh, did they just, why are they texting me right now? And things interrupt you and you just can't, you're like, man, I'm so busy. But here's what we have to understand. Jesus casted out demons and preached the word. Jesus casted out demons. The Bible is saying that we are in a wrestling match with the evil world, but Jesus is not in that wrestling match. Okay, let me just be clear. <laughs> Break this down. Far too often, when we think of spiritual battle, we're like, in this corner... Jesus Christ, he's about 150, he's looking strong, straight out of Nazareth. And then we have, we've got the father of lies, they call him, a bunch of other stuff, he's crazy, he's the champion, he's the devil. And they're over there and they come, they touch gloves, it's like, this is going to be crazy, it's going down, they're talking trash to one another. That is not the spiritual battle. It is not Satan versus Jesus. Jesus already has victory over Satan, all right? Let's just be clear. Jesus has Satan on a leash, all right? He is Satan and the demonic world are, are created beings. He is Jesus, an eternal being, rose from the dead, and in rising from the dead, he was defeating Satan's greatest move, right, that he used to get everybody with. He's like, I got you, and he slams him down, defeats death, and rises again from the dead. The point is, is that we are wrestling, but Jesus is not. We are in a wrestling match with evil. Jesus defeats evil. And so what is important that we do is that we put ourselves in the presence of the victorious one. But we are not the victorious ones. Jesus is the victorious one. And that's why I love that. I believe the Spirit was just working that we sang a song that victory belongs to who? Jesus. Jesus is the one that is victorious. He is the strong one. And it is bringing our weaknesses to him that we experience victory. And so it's, it's prayer that brings you into this presence of Jesus. And it's not that the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, but there's this idea of the Holy Spirit controlling your life and you, you, you sensing the power of Jesus to overcome the darkness in your life. Now, two things I want to say. One, Part of us gets into this mentality that, you know, I, you, you have these hiccups. You've got these hang-ups. You've got these things that you keep falling into. And you've grown so accustomed to them, it's like you've got this miniature culture going on inside of you. Like, yeah, this is what we do. And what I want to encourage you to do is to continue to bring those things out of the darkness into the light. First, bring them before the Lord and then bring them before people. And if you're not even comfortable bringing them to people, okay, but keep bringing them before the Lord. 
because everything in the world grows with light, but sin's the only thing that grows in darkness. Your sin will overtake you in darkness. But the other thing to, to realize is that that's, that's the balance, that it's, it's preaching, he says, and he's casting out demons. And, and so I, I, um, the, the believer does not get possessed by demons, but they can be oppressed by demons, and they can be oppressed by darkness. And so don't get caught up in the word demon. Get caught up in what I say, darkness. Because I don't know what's a demon. I don't know what is a demon, but I know there's darkness. I know there are things that happen in my flesh. I know there's things that I see that remind me of things. I know there are things going on around me, and I must be serious about fighting against them. And so how do you fight? Um, we, uh, we have a Keurig, praise God, you know what I'm talking about, with the, the pod that you put the coffee in, and then you pull it down, and all right, you with me. It's like a microwave for coffee, in a sense. Ah, that analogy doesn't work. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it makes coffee fast. Um, so we have this Keurig, and my wife was making some coffee. And um, she made some coffee, and then she was like, why are these, these, there's like these little chocolate pebbles in there. It's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, those are roaches. Those <laughs> are roaches. Those aren't pebbles. So I was like, oh. And what we discovered was roaches love heat, and we would leave the pod in there after we made the coffee. And so we, so my wife just Googles like Keurig roaches. And, this, and this, of course, all the complaints come up like, I had roaches in my coffee. You know, we're just like, how did we not know this beforehand, right? So, so of course, when roaches find a place to hang out, they don't like to leave. They act like you moved into their crib. So, so the roaches are there, right? So in the middle of the night, I get up, I woke up, and I turned the light on. And the roach is like, what's up? What's it going to be? Right? So I see the roach. And then I move to it. I move close to it. And it runs away. And it was crazy, because when I turned the light on, it, it got the roach's attention. But when I moved close to it, it ran away. Here's what the Bible says. The, <laughs> the Bible says, resist the devil, and he will flee, all right? Now, but what does it mean to resist the devil? It's not just enough just to have the light of his word. You must have the power of his presence. When you, when you are in, when you are reading the Bible, there's a, there's a part of you that can just get into this intellectual study. Understand these are real words from a real person. That's why we worship and we hear the word because we want you to understand the fullness of the presence of Jesus. But that is not only for Sunday. There are roaches coming around in your life. And you know, roaches are attracted to, uh, to, to, to heat and demons are attracted to your sin. 
and they are coming close, and, they, and there's a sense in which they get this energy from your, uh, they have opportunity from your mistakes and your hiccups, but it doesn't matter if you don't believe in demons. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in darkness. Believe in his word. Believe in his presence. And they will flee. Now, you, um, you, have, you have this, you have these parts of you that, now we're here, right? And you, we have these parts of us that we're like, yeah, and I wasn't expecting an analogy to go that well. Just let me write that down. <laughs> but there are these parts of you, there are these parts of you that, um, that truth be told, you're, you're tracking with this, but you're like, but you don't know about this. This is, this is, this is cool, but you don't know me. And there's some things you're so ashamed of. Some things you're so embarrassed by. You don't want not only people to get close to it, you don't want Jesus to get close to it. And you're working hard to get rid of it. But you don't want anybody to come around. Look here in verse 40, and we're going to close. Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling and said to him, if, if you will, you can make me clean. You can do it, Jesus. You can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. <laughs> Here, You've got to understand the nature of leprosy. When a leper would walk on one side of the road, Jews were taught to yell, unclean, unclean. If a leper was underneath a tree, you were taught not even to go by the shadow of the tree. Lepers were isolated. Lepers were cast out of the community. And this was part of Jewish thinking, that these people are too dirty for the temple. And so here the leper thinks to himself, I cannot approach the temple, and I cannot approach God. And the thing about leprosy is that it's highly contagious. And here, here, Jesus is with this leper. Now, when you get leprosy, it starts to grow. It starts to grow. And you're trying to clean it off. You're trying to clean it off. But it's only growing and growing. You try to clean it off, and it's growing. And when I say the word leprosy, you think to yourself, sounds bad. But oh, Understand this. When I show you a picture of leprosy, it'll be hard for you to look at it. It is so powerful. It's such a distraction. 
that I'm sure that when people saw this man with leprosy, they would look, they would, kids, don't, don't look over there. Don't go by that tree. That's unclean. Too dirty for the temple. Now, let's be big boys and be big girls. I want to show you this picture. Show me that picture. That's a man with leprosy. Feel the weight of that picture. Feel his shame. Feel him walking by Jews. Feel the little kids turning their heads down. Feel the whispers. Feel the people constantly rejecting him. Feel him trying to clean his body. Feel him waking up another day saying, I can't take this. Feel him doing that. Now go back to the scripture. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. It wasn't just the fact that he cleaned his body. It was that he touched him. Because you see, he had not been touched in years. No one was willing to talk to him about his leprosy. No one was willing to deal with his ailments. He couldn't talk to anybody about it. He couldn't deal with it with anyone. But Jesus touched him. Jesus touched him. And the power in this text isn't just the fact that he was made clean. It was the fact that he believed he could be made clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, there's no, I got nothing else. I've got no place to go. I can't tell this to anybody. No one knows what I'm going through. No one's willing to come close. Except you. Just, just a touch from you will transform it. Just, just a touch. And move with pity. Jesus touches him and he's made clean. Some of us are afraid of putting expectations of transformation on God because we don't want to be let down. But here's the, what you need to realize. We cannot make predictions about, about what God will do, but we must live with expectations of what he can do. And in the middle of not living with predictions but having expectations is faith. You may not do it, but you can. I know, I know some people have heard a no, but you can always say yes. Jesus heals the leper. And there is in your life hard things. If I were to turn this church over like a rock and show the ugly side, underneath there would be much, much battle with depression and much battle with porn. Dark things you've been trying to shake. Dark things you've been trying to hide. 
And yet, Jesus says, still come close. You say, well, I tried that one time, and I'm still struggling. Well, I'll teach you something my, my sisters taught me. I was never, I am still not a good domesticated partner, praise God. Um, my wife is, this whole sermon is about me washing the dishes. She's like, help him, Lord. Help him wash the dishes. He's just horrible. I'm horrible at helping out in the house, but I'm growing. And, um, but when I was growing up, my sisters would wash the dishes and I would be there and um, I'd come back from football practice or whatever. And my sisters would do it so quick. And it would take me forever. And I would be there like, Ugh. and there would be like that, that, that plate with like macaroni on it, and it's just hard, and you're just trying to get that one yellow piece off off the white plate. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just scrubbing, you're just like, come on, come on, come on. And then my sisters would come, and they'd be like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you working so hard? And, and it would be like 11 o'clock at night, and I'd be like, oh, you know, I just, I've been trying to get this off. They're like, let me show you something. And they'd fill the sink up, and they'd put some soap in it, swish it around, I say, put that in there. Go to bed. <laughs> I'm like, no, we got to put some work in. Go to bed. See what happens in the morning. I come downstairs. I have this plate. And it would still have a little piece on it. And I pick it up and I go. And it would come right off. And, you know, it was this crazy thing. They said, you wash the dishes so hard, but you don't even know what it means to soak. When you allow it to soak, the soap does the work. It just does the work. And so just, James, just let it soak and go to bed. And in the morning, over time, it'll be changed. The priority of prayer is not just for you to feel guilted. It's for you to start experiencing more victory from his power. What I want you to do is not just talk to God about your needs. I want you to start soaking in his presence. Just soak in his presence. Just soak in his presence. If you read one verse, but just, God, I'm overwhelmed today. And I want to encounter you. Be real to me, God. Change me. Change me, God. Make me look more like you, God. Over time, you'll be amazed at what just comes off. And if it doesn't come off in this life, it'll come off in the next, praise God. We're going to have a moment here where we have communion. I'm going to pray. But we're going to have communion. And when we have communion... It reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ for your sin. For those hang-ups, for those inconsistencies, Christ has died for those. He has paid the penalty. No more guilt, no more shame. Don't run away from him, run to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you right now for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your power in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you now 
Change us. Change us, God. Through the power of prayer, through the power of your presence, make us look like you, God. We are available to you, God. We devote ourselves to you, and we won't crowd you out, God. We will prioritize you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.